Hey, that is. Hello, hello. Can you hear me now? That was nice. Thanks, guys. It is good to be here with you. I bring you greetings from northern Kentucky. And uh, I was in Spokane, Washington a few months ago, and it was just like this as far as the weather goes. Beautiful and sunny. So I think people are lying to us about Washington. <laughs> I know, right? Keep that, keep that quiet. It is a blessing to be here with you guys. I'm from Answers in Genesis. And before joining Answers, I was a teacher for 13 years in the public schools, taught Bible history in a public school system. Kind of a neat story about how all that happened over in Tennessee area. Uh, but now with the ministry of Answers in Genesis, and by a show of hands, who's familiar with Answers in Genesis kind of already? Okay, so a lot of you. Very good. And one of the things I like to say as I go and travel and speak at churches is that Answers in Genesis, people hear that name. And for many people, they automatically think that we are all about winning a debate. Like, that's our passion, talking about the origins, and we're passionate about defending, you know, creation versus evolution, and that's what we're on about. But truly, that's not our passion. We are an apologetics ministry, equipping Christians to defend their faith, but we're actually about defending biblical authority, where it's being attacked today, so we as Christians can stand boldly on God's word, defend our faith in order to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world effectively. That's really what this is all about. Again, this first session is going to lay that foundation. That's the purpose of the Creation Museum. That's the purpose of the Ark Encounter. You may have heard we rebuilt Noah's Ark, or at least a replica of it, an amazing structure. God's done some amazing amazing thing is already with this. We had a million visitors, over a million visitors the first year to the Ark Encounter who heard the gospel, who got answers to their questions. Over 500,000 to the Creation Museum, the same thing last year. Just God's doing some amazing things. Again, all this is about defending the faith to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guys, we are so passionate about this because we have noticed something. And something I noticed in teaching 13 years in the public school, something I bet you have noticed as well. We've noticed our nation is headed in the wrong direction. You guys notice that? Not that hard to see, right? It's not just America. It's the entire Western world. We're seeing the collapse of the Christian worldview. But the fact that it's happening in America is pretty astounding. Because if we think about it, honestly, America is probably the most Christianized nation ever, right? And if you think about it, we have more churches than anybody else in the world, over 500,000 churches in America. We have more Bible colleges, more seminaries. We have more Christian resources. Actually, we have more Christian resources in America than any other nation has ever had in all of history. Isn't that a staggering thought? But for all those Christian resources, are we as a nation becoming more Christian or less every day? And what's the answer? Less. And rapidly so. George Barna recently published in some research that around 4,000 churches a year close their doors in America. The church in America is losing around 3 million people a year to some form of secularism. Newsweek back in 2009 had this as their cover, the decline and fall of Christian America. And inside they said this. The presence in this sense is less about the death of God and more about the birth of many gods. We used to be one nation under God, but now we're one nation under many gods. Isn't it great to see how tolerant we are? But did you realize in truth at a foundational level, there are actually only two religions? You say two? Just two at a foundational level. Either God's word is true and we trust it and build our thinking from here, or it's not and man's word in some way, shape, or form becomes the ultimate authority. Those are two foundational religions. Either God's word is true or man's word is true. 
And what we've seen in our culture has been a shift away from God's word being the foundation for much of our cultural thinking. So now man's word has become the ultimate authority. Man now decides what is truth. And that's why truth is relative in America today because each person decides their own truth. And that's why we look a whole lot like Judges 21, 25. When there was no king in Israel, every man did that which is right in his. Oh, nice. And this is why our culture feels so free to redefine things like morality, marriage, sanctity of life, things as basic as gender. National Geographic, January 2017. Nine-year-old boy posing as a girl, and that is seen as good and right. It should be celebrated. Or this eight-year-old boy dressed in drag, competing in competitions, dressed as a girl, supported by his parents, and that is seen as good and celebrated within our culture today. And of course, this concerns me for numerous reasons, not the least of which is I have a son. His name is Ian. He is three years old, and he is obviously camera shy. <laughs> And that's my beautiful wife of 19 years, Marla, with us in that picture. And, and of course, yeah, 19, I know, right? 20 coming up. Praise God for that. But I got planned for that. But anyway, okay, that's what we're talking about. But, uh, and so, you know, I'm concerned about this for numerous, you know, Ian right now is not worried about the culture. He's not thinking about that, but I am. Because how do I raise my son in a culture like ours where he can stand on God's word boldly, defend his faith and proclaim the gospel to, touch, to such a secularized culture like ours today? I mean, who would ever have thought we would live in a nation where around 4,000 babies a day would be murdered in their mother's womb, and that would be celebrated as good and right? Who would ever thought we would live in a time where we are told by a medical association, don't call pregnant women expectant mothers. That might offend the transgender movement. Call them pregnant people. Who ever thought we'd live in a day and age where the Boy Scouts would be no longer just for boys or when Disney would go gay, the first exclusively gay moment in a Disney movie back in the Beauty and the Beast movie not too long ago. First exclusively gay kiss in a Disney cartoon on their cable channel not that long ago. Who would ever thought we would live in a nation where we're so confused we don't know which bathroom to use? I could go on. It gets a little depressing, doesn't it? But can we just all agree our nation has lost its ever-loving mind? We can agree on that. That's pretty obvious. So the question then becomes, why? And maybe a better way to word this question for us as Christians is why isn't the church influencing the culture like it used to years ago? And guys, here's what we suggest because in many cases, the culture has infiltrated the church. That God's word has come under attack both outside and inside the church. Much of the church is compromised with the secular thinking of our day, undermined biblical authority, and we're seeing the collapse of the Christian worldview. And the fact that God's word is under attack, it's really nothing new. It's been under attack since Genesis chapter 3 when the devil said to Eve, did God really say? Very first attack on God's word. Very simple, very subtle, but also very effective because notice what he's doing trying to get Eve to question God's word, to doubt God's word, so she would ultimately reject God's word. And you know what? That method was so effective, he's used it ever since. Different forms, but same basic attack. And we suggest one of the main ways he's doing this today is through the teaching of things like evolution, eight men, big bang, millions of years, using those sorts of ideas to get people to question God's word, to doubt God's word, to ultimately reject God's word. Guys, in a real sense, it's been like a stealth attack by the enemy who's attacked the history of the Bible to undermine the authority of the Bible, to undermine the gospel that's based in that authority. Because if we think about it, just put this in simple terms, if we cannot believe the Bible's history, why on earth trust what it says about salvation? 
If you can't trust the beginning, why trust the middle or the end? I heard a pastor, he recently asked his congregation what the most important verse in the Bible was. And he asked for suggestions. And of course, the, the loudest one he got back was which one? Yeah, John 3, 16. Who can argue with that? It's a great gospel verse. And he said, you know, I hear what you guys are saying. But he said, let me suggest this. He said, I suggest the most important verse in the Bible is Genesis 1, 1. Because if it's not true, none of the rest of it is either. If we can't trust the beginning, why trust the middle or the end? And even though many Christians haven't recognized where the attack is taking place today, the secularists understand this is a great way to undermine God's word by attacking the history. Let me give you an example of this. A clip of a guy named Lawrence Krauss, professor at Arizona State, teaches physics. And here teaching at a conference back in 2009. He's a very devout atheist. But listen to what he says here in this clip. And maybe even more sadly, listen to the response of the crowd to what he says. The amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus, the stars died so that you could be here today, okay? And, and anyway, he's great. So forget Jesus, the stars died so you can be here today. Why forget Jesus? Because he's not the creator who made you. You're not here because God made you. No, you're here because stars exploded. And the Bible's wrong about the beginning. Why trust the middle or the end? This same guy said it later on at a different conference. He said, you know what? Change is always one generation away. So if we can plant the seeds of doubt in our children, sounds like Genesis chapter 3. Religion will go away, or at least largely so, in a generation. And I believe that's what we have an obligation to do. And you know what? He is right. Change is always one generation away. We see it in the Word of God multiple times. We see it in our culture right now. Did you realize that around two-thirds of kids, according to multiple different polls, around two-thirds of kids who grow up in the church today are walking away from the faith by the time they reach college age, most of whom do not return? And of course, this concerned us for numerous reasons. So we did a research project with Brent Beamer from America's Research Group to try to figure out what was going on. And he interviewed a thousand of these millennials, these 20-somethings who had grown up in church and walked away to try to figure out what was happening so we could stem the tide of what's taking place. And let me show you two of his major findings in case you've not heard this. Pretty astounding. It kind of blew us away when we saw this. When he asked these kids who had grown up at church and since walked away after high school, if you don't believe, when did you first have doubts? I want you to notice it was not college. Isn't that what we tend to think? We raise our kids in the church. They're all fine at church, at home. And then we send them off to college. And the secular professor, like Lawrence Krauss, he convinces them the Bible's not true and they walk away. That's what we think. But according to research, actually they had all these questions in middle school and high school, over 80%, all these questions that were not getting answered. What sort of questions? Same questions I heard for 13 years teaching Bible history in a public school system, working for 20 years within the church. Questions like, well, if the Bible's true, then where did God come from? 
And why those 66 books? And why not the Apocrypha? And what about the cavemen and the ape men? And who did Cain marry? And if we all come from Adam and Eve, then how do you explain all these different races? And how do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? And what about the rock layers and fossils and the distant starlight? What about radiometric dating? How do I know I get the animals on Turk? Where did water for the flood come from? Where did the water go? Why is there so much death and suffering in this world if there's a good God who made it? You heard some of those questions before? Maybe not that fast, all right? <laughs> We've all heard those questions. Why? Because that's where the attack is happening today. You see, for multiple generations, they've grown up in a culture where they've been told you cannot trust the Bible in this scientific age. It's been bombed out in their view. And they're waiting for a response. They're waiting for answers from their Christian parents, from their Christian grandparents, from their leaders. Tell me, how do I fit dinosaurs into the Bible? How do I understand the rock layers and fossils and distant starlight? How do I understand the amen from a biblical perspective? How do we answer these questions? They're looking for answers. And for the most part, what they've gotten in response for about the last century has been something along these lines. These lines. I don't know, honey. I don't know about dinosaurs or rock layers or fossils. I don't know about that stuff, but don't worry about it. Just trust in Jesus anyway. Sound familiar? I know I said that a couple of times to a couple of different people. But you see, when we say that, we do it with the best of intentions, but we're missing their core question. Their core question is, why should I trust in your Jesus? That message comes from the Bible, but dear mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, leader, my question is, can I trust this book? If this part right here has been proven wrong, why should I trust this part over here? If I can't trust the beginning, why trust the middle or the end? That's their question. Can we trust the word of God? And for over two-thirds of these kids, they have all these questions that are not getting answered. You see, according to research, most of these kids are walking away in their hearts and in their minds before they ever leave physically for college. They're sitting in our pews, in our homes right now, and they are already gone. And that's why we entitled the book Already Gone. And then when we asked them the reasons for leaving, one of their main reasons for leaving was hypocrisy. And we asked them, well, define that for me. What do you mean by that? And this is what the majority said in some way, shape, or form. They said, well... We grew up in church, and we were told in church, this book is the word of God. Trust everything it says, especially that part about Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him to be saved. And then they said we were told later on in some way, shape, or form that we as Christians, we don't necessarily believe this part of the book. And you can take evolution and eight men and big bang, millions of years. You can take man's ideas, reinterpret this first part. This first part's not that important. Just be sure you believe the rest of it and you trust in Jesus. And they see it as hypocrisy and rightfully so. And they're walking away from the faith in droves. And we see a lot of testimonies like this young man's. Of how I became an atheist. I was born into a Christian family and indoctrinated as, uh, growing up as a kid. That next year was freshman year of high school. And I started learning about evolution in my biology class. Then uh, that's where I realized I had never seriously questioned or thought about my religious beliefs. So as I learned about evolution and just started thinking philosophically about it, I realized that there couldn't be a God. So I became an atheist. Unfortunately, that is a common refrain among teens today. We hear that all the time. Two-thirds are walking away from the faith. And guys, hear me on this. I know that most Christian parents and grandparents and Christian leaders had the best of intentions when we said, I don't know about that stuff. Don't worry about it. Trust in Jesus. Best of intentions. But can we have the best of intentions and still get the worst of consequences? Hey, I get it. This is a heavy talk. I understand. So let me give you a lighthearted example of when Christians have some good intentions, but get some bad consequences. All right, lighthearted example. 
Let me show you some bad church bulletin titles I found that really illustrate this point pretty well. <laughs> like this one. The peacemaking meeting schedule for today has been canceled due to conflict. <laughs> Should have thought that through just a little bit better. Or this one. Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. <laughs> if you do counseling, that's good. All right, you can keep that. Or this one. Uh, at service tonight, the sermon topic will be what is hell. Come early, listen to our choir practice. <laughs> Some of y'all are laughing too hard, all right? <laughs> <laughs> or this one Barbara remains in the hospital she's having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Jack's sermons <laughs> oh man good intentions good intentions but still really bad consequences and that's what happens when we compromise the word of God even with the best of intentions we get horrific consequences so with the best of intentions we've in many cases avoided our kids questions told them just to trust in Jesus and then to make matters worse what we do teach them is well we teach them Bible stories and don't get me wrong I do love a good story but what's the word story tend to mean in our modern language today Fiction, fairy tale, not true, right? So in a sense, unintentionally so, we're telling our kids, we're going to church, we learn all these great Bible stories, these great fairy tales. And then we show them pictures like this of Noah's Ark as an overloaded bathtub, right? Giraffes are always sticking out the top somehow. And the thing that always gets me is that the animals are always happy, even though the whole world's being destroyed. I don't understand. And I get the idea, it's meant to be cute for kids. I do understand that concept, but we recognize kids are very impressionable. You show a kid a picture like that, does that tell that kid, Noah's Ark and Flood, real event or fairy tale? Fairy tale. And our kids have all these questions they're hit with for about 100 hours a week at school, on the media, on social media, at zoos and museums, everywhere they go, they have all these questions, they're needing answers. What do they get at church? They get stories. So where do they go to get answers? They go to schools, they go to their textbooks, they go to Google, they go to Wikipedia, Lord help them, all right? They go to Facebook to find answers to their questions, to their secular teachers. You see, in those places, they're taught real history, the real history of evolution, millions of years, all the reasons the Bible can't be true. In a real sense, they are learning apologetics, just secular apologetics. They're learning all the reasons from the secular perspective the Bible cannot be true and cannot be trusted. What do they get at church? Stories. Is it any wonder two-thirds are walking away from the faith? And guys, that history in Genesis, it is real history, and it is really, really important. You've probably seen this before. We summarize the history of the Bible with the seven seas. And those first four, that's Genesis 1 to 11, the geological, biological, anthropological, astronomical history of the universe. That is the foundation to the next three seas, Christ, cross, and consummation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, these seven seas are married and cannot be divorced. A few examples. Just as it was a perfect creation in the beginning with no death, no bloodshed, no disease, so one day it will be perfect again when Christ returns. Looking forward to that? Amen. Hallelujah, somebody, right? Yeah. And then the second seed, the corruption because of the sin of the first man, Adam. That's why we need saving through the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who became part of our blood to pay the debt we could not pay on our behalf. If we put our faith in him, we can't be saved. The catastrophe of Noah's day, Noah's flood, a global judgment of God on man's sin with one way to be saved through the ark, through the door of the ark. A picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, because there's another global judgment coming. It is coming, this time by fire. And there's one way to be saved. Jesus says, I'm the door. 
If by me any man enter in, he shall be saved. And then the confusion in the Tower of Babel, we'll talk more about this tomorrow night. This reminds us that according to biblical history confirmed by real science, ultimately we all go back to one man and one woman. That means how many races are there? One. One. The human race. And by the way, that's why we are all sinners and even Savior, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And we see how all this comes together. But you see, here's the thing. If this first part is not true, like our culture is saying, like much of the church, unfortunately, is agreeing with, then why should we trust the, what? the rest? And some of the people say, okay, Brian, I understand what you're saying. That makes sense. But still, it's just Genesis. It's not the gospel. It can't be that important. I will suggest to you that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. Because as it turns out, Genesis is the foundation to the gospel. It's actually the foundation to every single biblical doctrine, either directly or indirectly. A few examples to think about. Where does marriage come from? Which book of the Bible? It comes from Genesis. Where do we see the origin of sin and death? Which book of the Bible? Genesis. Why do we have a seven-day week? It goes back to? Genesis. Why do we wear clothes? I notice you are, and that's good. Amen? <laughs> Why do we do it? It goes back to? Genesis. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why is he called the last Adam? Why do we need a new heavens and new earth? It goes back to which book? Genesis. It's the foundation for all those doctrines, every biblical doctrine. Here's the key. You remove the foundation. What happens to the structure? It will collapse, just like we see happening in America today. I heard someone recently very cleverly say, if God thought Genesis was so important, he should have put it closer to the beginning of the book. Amen, all right? It is the first book for a reason. A couple of examples of how God's word is being attacked by attacking Genesis. One of the primary ones, the doctrine of marriage, definitely under attack today, is it not? See that very evident in so many different ways. And you know, when Jesus was asked about marriage, he did something radical. He quoted from the Bible to defend his beliefs. It's crazy, right? And he said to the Pharisees who were asking him, have you not read, translation, don't you read your Bibles? That he who made them at the wind, beginning, not 13 billion years after the beginning, made them at the beginning, made them what? There's our genders. Look at that, according to God's word. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Jesus was showing that the doctrine of marriage is based on the biology and the history of Genesis being true. You become one in marriage because you are one flesh. It's based on the fact that the woman came from the man. The woman, praise God, did not come from the ape woman. <laughs> Amen, fellas? Praise God for that. That's, whew. She came from the man. And by the way, we can say lovingly, passionately, authoritatively, that marriage is between one man and one woman only. Why? Because God, who made it and reveals it to us, made it between one man and one woman. He made it. He defines what it is according to his word, his revelation based on this authority. That's how we can defend our faith, by standing on the word of God. But here's the thing. If God's word is not the authority and or Genesis is not real history, then why not take marriage and redefine it in your own image? Make it whatever you want it to be to fit your own ideas if God's word is not the ultimate authority, like we see happening today. Or let me give you another example of a doctrine that's being attacked, but this one's a little more subtle. The doctrine of death and its relationship to the gospel. This was a little bit more sneaky, but just as important, if not more so. See, according to the Bible, death is an enemy. You go back to the beginning. God calls everything on day six. He calls it all very what? 
Very good. Then he warns Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit, you'll surely what? Die. That death will be a consequence if you rebel. If you sin against me, death will be the consequence. And you see, guys, the Bible is clear from beginning to end. Genesis, Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15, the book of Revelation. It was man's sin that brought death and suffering into this world. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And because of that sin... The whole creation is groaning in pain. It wants to be fixed back to the way it was before Adam's sin, which is part of the promise of the coming of the Messiah. We see the first death of an animal right there in Genesis chapter 3, after man's sin, where God kills an animal. He sheds its blood to make clothing for Adam and Eve to cover their sin and their shame. And it was a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who would later on shed his blood to cover our sin and our shame. And I say, okay, Brian, I agree with all that. We get that. Where's the attack? Well, here's where the attack is occurring. If you try to take the atheistic idea of millions of years and squeeze it into God's word, like so many Christians are trying to do today, like I did for years and years and years, you end up undermining multiple biblical doctrines and even the gospel itself. You say, how so? A few examples. First, in Genesis 1, 29 and 30, God told Adam and Eve they were to eat fruit. And then in verse 30, to all the beasts of the earth, everything with a breath of life, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. According to the Bible, originally, everything was vegetarian. Now, I do understand that sounds weird to us today, but it makes really good biblical sense because the Bible is clear there was no death until after Adam's sin, which means you can't eat meat until after Adam's sin because when you eat meat, you're an animal that has what? Died. Before his sin, there is no death. Everything has to be vegetarian. It's not until after the flood <clears throat> that God told Noah, just as I gave you plants to eat, now you can eat everything. Which, as we joke at the ministry, that's why you can eat a hot dog. Because it is everything. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, there you go. <laughs> but why is this a problem, you might ask? Well, because in the fossil record, which is the supposed evidence for the millions of years, and was supposedly, get this, laid down millions of years before man and thus before sin, in that fossil record, we find evidence of animals eating each other. But wait, the Bible says things were originally vegetarian. We find evidence in that same fossil record of things like diseases, brain tumors, and arthritis, and so forth. But wait, the Bible says God looked down on day six. He called everything very good. Surely he would not call millions of years of death and suffering and diseases like cancer very good. If he did, he'd not be a very good God. Actually, if this were the case... It would mean he's the author of death. It was part of his original very good creation. We find thorns in the fossil record, supposedly hundreds of millions of years old, but the Bible's clear thorns came after the curse. And guys, most important of all, if you try to squeeze millions of years into God's word, no matter how you do it, day-age theory, gap theory, progressive creation, theistic evolution, framework hypothesis, cosmic temple, a bunch of others, they all have this one fundamental, fatal, theological flaw. They all put death before sin. Theologically impossible undermines the gospel. Here's how. If you got millions of years, you got death before sin. If you got death before sin, then death is not the consequence or the payment for sin. It's just always been around. And if death is not the payment for sin, then watch this. Jesus' death does not pay our sin debt. And we just destroy the foundation for the gospel, whether we meant to or not. Good intentions or not, it does not matter. We've undermined the authority of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've made this, at 
best unnecessary. Genesis is the foundation for every single biblical doctrine, including the gospel. And someone will say, okay, that makes sense, but wait a minute, Brian, are you telling me, are you, got, you guys that answers, are you telling us it's, that you can't be a Christian unless you believe in earth around 6,000 years old and a literal atom and a global flood, that you got to believe there seems to be a Christian? Is that what you're saying? Of course not. Romans 10, 9. Confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus, believe in how God has raised him from the dead, and believe in a young earth in six literal days, you'll be saved. <laughs> it's not in your Bibles? Now, that's over, that's over in Second Heresies or maybe Third Opinions. I can't remember which one it is. No. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus what? Nothing. Kind of not a trick question, all right? <laughs> saved by grace, through faith, in Christ, plus nothing else. So it's not a direct salvation issue, but it is an authority issue because where does the message of Jesus Christ come from? It comes from this book. And if we can't trust this part over here, how can we trust this part over here? It's an issue of authority. And that's why it's so important. We're ready to give an answer for our faith where the attack is happening today. And I think so many Christians haven't done this because we bought the lie that you can't use the Bible to do science because it's not a science textbook. Do you know our response to that? We say, you're right and praise God because science textbooks change every year, right? But where the Bible touches on science, can we trust it? Yes, it is the Word of God. It gets everything right. Everything it refers to, it's right about. You see, the Bible gives us the big picture of history to rightly understand things like biology or geology, astronomy. It gives us the right understanding of the past that we apply to the evidence in the present. And that's important because we all live in the present, right? Right? Hey, raise your hand if you're with me in the present. Quick check, deep talk. Okay, you guys are with me. Very good. All right. Tricky question When do fossils exist? Past or present, and be careful. I heard both, all right? The answer is the present. If they didn't, we would not have them. True? And when we find a bone in the dirt, we got to recognize it does not come with a label on it saying, hey, I'm 65 million years old, made in China. <laughs> it don't come like that. If you find a bone in the dirt, all you know for sure is that something has died, and here is my point. All the evidence that scientists have exists here, now, in the present. Both biblical and secular scientists have the same stuff in the present, the same rock layers, the same fossils, the same distant star, like the same DNA. But they interpret those things differently in the present and make different guesses about their origin in the unseen past based on their different starting assumptions about the past, based on their different worldviews. And here is the key we must remember. If you start with the wrong assumptions, you'll most likely get the wrong, what do you think? Yeah. Wrong answers, wrong conclusions, right? Good example of this. Maybe you've seen one of these before. Anybody know what this is right here? That's a calf puller. You say, what? Yeah, that's a calf puller. Evidently, when a cow's having trouble giving birth to a baby calf, you take this pole, push it against the cow, take the cable, attach it to the calf, and you crank the calf out of the cow. I've never seen it. I've never done it. I don't want to, all right? But there's a story involving one of these. You had a farmer, had a cow giving birth, but there's a breech birth. The calf was coming out backwards, hind legs first. So he had to use this calf puller. Just so happened, this was all taking place by the side of a road. And as he's doing this whole thing, a city guy drives by and he sees this train wreck happening on the side of the road. So he slams on his brakes, pulls over, runs up to get a closer look. The farmer looks up, sees the guy, kind of laughs to himself, and he says, hey, have you ever seen anything like this before? And the city guy said, no, never seen nothing like this. Farmer said, you got any questions? The guy said, yeah, I got one. 
farmer said, let's hear it. The guy paused for a second. He said, well, just, um, I mean, how fast was that calf going when it hit that cow? <laughs> Some of y'all get that later, all right? No. <laughs> Wrong assumptions, wrong conclusions. And friends, secular scientists have reached some really wrong conclusions about certain things, like the age of the earth and universe and dinosaurs and rock layers and so forth. Why? They're starting with the wrong assumptions about the past. Guys, everyone comes to the evidence with a worldview. It's impossible not to. Everyone's got a bias. The question is, which bias is the best bias to be biased by? I think that made sense, all right? Everybody has a worldview, and there is no such thing as neutrality. We've got to recognize that. Jesus said, you're either with me or you're what? Against. You either walk in light or you walk in darkness. Either you gather with me or you scatter. There is no such thing as neutrality, biblically speaking. And it's about time we wake up to the fact that as our culture throws out things like prayer and Bible reading and Ten Commandments, nativity scenes, so forth and so on, it is not throwing religion out. It's throwing Christianity out. You see, now we're teaching students, generations of them, over 9% of uh, kids from church homes go to public schools, and we're teaching multiple generations of our kids that you can explain everything, biology, geology, anthropology, math, everything, without God, without the Bible. Hear me. That is the religion of secular humanism, naturalism, also called atheism, which is a religion by definition. We are now teaching a new religion, we didn't throw religion out. We've changed the religion. That's what's happened within our culture today. Let me give you a little sidebar here as well, just a quick little side note. My wife and I both taught in the public schools for 13 years. Let's be clear. Are there missionaries in the public schools? Yes. yes. Should we pray for those missionaries? Yes. Passionately, right? They are there, but recognize the difference. The system itself is inherently atheistic because the system says you can explain all things without God. We recognize the difference. System, atheistic, but there are missionaries in that system. Let's pray for them. Distinct difference there. But let me give you a little taste of the new religion being taught in our school systems today to generations of our kids. A clip of the updated Cosmos series hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, teaching supposedly science in this particular clip, used to teach multiple generations of kids, in a real sense, a new religion. Listen to what it says here. Our ancestors worshiped the sun. They were far from foolish. It makes good sense to revere the sun and stars because we are their children. The silicon in the rocks, the oxygen in the air, carbon in our DNA, the iron in our skyscrapers, the silver in our jewelry, were all made in stars billions of years ago. Our planet, our society, and we ourselves are stardust. Wow. Then they dim the lights. There's an altar call. Give your life to the stars. G.K. Chesterton once said, when you cease to worship God, you do not worship nothing, you worship anything. 
And that's what we see happening today. So how do we fight against this new propaganda, this new religion in our culture today? The answer is a lot simpler than we think it is. Dear Christian, all we must do is stand. Stand on the authority of God's word. It's then we can indeed defend our faith where it's being attacked today, answer these questions, and then boldly proclaim the gospel, which is the answer. If we'll just stand on God's word, we can answer some of these questions that have puzzled Christians for so long. Questions like, if the Bible's true, then how to know get all those animals onto the ark hear this question all the time. Just stand on God's word. You get a really good answer. The Bible tells us very clearly, Noah's ark was huge, over 500 feet long and 85 feet wide and 51 feet tall with three different levels, over 100,000 square feet inside the ark. That's why we built the ark encounter to demonstrate that point. It was a huge vessel. We've got to stop teaching this like we do in our children's books. It says Noah's ark is an overloaded bathtub. Get rid of these fairy tales. Teach it as real history. That is what it is. Also, the Bible's clear. We'll talk more about this tomorrow night, but the Bible's clear. Noah took two of each kind onto the ark, not two of each species, two of each kind. And the word kind, for the most part, in the Bible is equal to about the family level of modern-day classification. So, for example, Noah did not take 400 pairs of dogs with him on the ark. He most likely never saw a chihuahua or poodle in his life. <laughs> Praise God, all right? <laughs> no, he just took two of the dog kind, two of the elephant kind, so forth and so on. Actually, no problem feeding those animals onto the ark. We'll cover that in more detail tomorrow night if you come back for that. And then, of course, we, got, we should be connecting the flood to geology. If there was a global flood as described in the Bible, we would expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over the earth. Guess what we find? Billions of dead things, buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over. The earth. tremendous confirmation, as we'll see more tomorrow night, that God's word is true in everything. And someone said, well, it doesn't take a long time to make a rock layer. No, right conditions, water, dirt, minerals, you make rock layers in no time flat. One quick example, Mount St. Helens, it erupted back in 1980, produced hundreds of rock layers in hours or days, big ones, little ones, and no time flat. We just watched it happen right in front of our eyes. Great evidence, it doesn't take a long period of time to make those rock layers. It made canyons like this one, nicknamed the Mini Grand Canyon because it's 140th the size of the Grand Canyon with similar features to the Grand Canyon, steep walls, sidebar canyons. It made this canyon in nine hours. We just watched it happen. Great forensic, tangible evidence. It does not take millions of years to make those sort of structures. What you need is a catastrophe. And if you want bigger rock layers and bigger canyons, what you need is a bigger catastrophe like Noah's flood. Exactly. Someone say, well, what about fossils? Don't they take a long time to form? No, fossils are evidence of a rapid process. To make something turn to a fossil, it needs to be buried quickly and deeply to protect it from scavengers and decomposition. It's a rapid process. A few examples of those. Here's a fossilized ham. Turned to stone in less than 60 years after being buried in a volcanic eruption. No relation to our present CEO, Ken Ham, all right? But there it is. Here's a fossilized ichthyosaur, fossilized in the very act of giving birth, pretty much instantaneous. And it does not take millions of years to give birth. Praise God, said the mothers, right? Or look at this. We've now found multiple samples of inside unfossilized sections of dinosaur bones. We're finding fresh, soft tissue still intact from the dinosaur. The tissue is still soft. It's still springy, still stretchy. Inside that tissue, we're finding things like blood vessels and red blood cells still intact. And we find this now over and over and over and over again. 
Here's the great thing about this. Most of these organic remnants are made of mostly water. They should not last hundreds of years after the creature's death. Maybe thousands in special conditions. No way millions. Phenomenal forensic evidence that God's word is true. Or just one more for good measure. Who's ever heard that carbon-14 dating proves the earth is millions of years old? You heard that? Ironically, carbon-14 is one of the best evidences for a young earth. You say, how? Well, carbon-14 forms in our atmosphere. It's unstable. It changes back to nitrogen-14. But it forms in our atmosphere. It gets absorbed by plants. Animals eat the plants. We eat animals and plants. So all organic remnants contain some carbon-14 inside of them. So you contain some carbon-14 inside of you. That means all of you are slightly unstable. <laughs> but you knew that already. Okay, so. But here's what's so cool about this. When a critter dies, it stops taking in carbon-14. And the carbon-14 it has inside of it starts to decay back to nitrogen-14. Now, carbon-14 decays so quickly that within 100,000 years after the creature's death, there should be no more detectable carbon-14 left. None. So if anything is older than 100,000 years of age in the fossil record, we should find absolutely no detectable carbon-14. So what do we find in pretty much all organic remnants in all the rock layers, no matter the supposed ages? We find large amounts of carbon-14 still intact in all those remnants. Even in coal layers, even in diamonds, supposedly billions of years old, carbon-14 still there. Great evidence that are just thousands of years old at most. And actually, most dating at this point to a very young earth. We don't hear about those. It doesn't fit the paradigm of our secular culture. And we could go on with this sort of stuff. Those are different talks we do at a different time. But the point is, if you put on biblical glasses, we have answers to these sorts of questions. We can defend our faith if we'll simply stand on God's word and look at the world through a biblical perspective. We can answer those questions, defend our faith, and boldly proclaim the gospel. And as we do this, we see our faith is confirmed time and again as we see our faith made tangible with the real world around us. And it's a real challenge to the skeptic. And someone will say, okay, Brian, what you just said seems fairly obvious. Then why do so many smart people miss that clear evidence? Good question. The answer? Because this is not a head issue. It's a heart issue. And then it becomes a worldview issue. Hear me. It's not a head issue. It's a heart issue, and then becomes a worldview issue. And what is the heart issue? The heart issue is this. Either we submit to God's word as the ultimate authority, or we reject it. We make our own word the ultimate authority. That's the heart issue. Either God's word is true, and we submit, or we don't, and we make man's word the ultimate authority in our lives. That is the heart issue, and then becomes a worldview issue. Ultimately, bottom line, this is a battle between the two fundamental worldviews, two different fundamental religions, of our day. It's a battle as old as Genesis chapter 3. Either God's word is true or you become as God. And what we've seen has been a shift in our culture away from God's word being the foundation for our thinking to not man's word has become the ultimate authority. We're seeing the collapse of the Christian worldview. Why? Because multiple generations now, both outside and inside the church, no longer build their thinking on God's word. And we're seeing the collapse of Christianity all around us. So what do we do about it? Good question. Glad you asked. <laughs> I'll sum up with these little castle diagrams <laughs> that you may have seen before. Notice the castle on the right represents Christianity built on the foundation that God's word is true. All the doctrines in the gospel built out of that foundation. Castle on the left represents secular humanism. The idea that man's word is the ultimate authority and all the moral relativism that results as that when that's a foundation. 
Notice, the humanists, driven by the enemy, whether they recognize it or not, they're very clever in our day and age. Don't attack the virgin birth. Don't attack the deity of Christ. Don't attack the resurrection. No, attack the foundation. Attack the history because once the foundation goes, what happens to the structure? It's going to fall. And then notice the Christians. Some have no idea what's going on. Right? Unfortunately, this guy here represents the majority of our Christian colleges and seminaries who will say we no longer need God's word. Genesis does not have to be real history. Maybe Adam was not a real person. Does not matter. Just trust in Jesus. This foundation is not important. They're destroying their own foundation. And of course, many are fighting each other over the color of the carpet or which hymnal to use. Some are indeed asleep. And then I think this guy here represents many of us. That we look onto the culture and we see all these social ills and we say to ourselves, we've got to fight against these things. We've got to fight against so-called gay marriage and abortion and euthanasia and racism. And we do need to fight against those things in truth and love. But friends, those things are not the problem. They are the symptoms. They're the symptoms of a loss of biblical authority in our day and age. And for all our time and effort, we have spent fighting those symptoms. Is it working? No, we're becoming less Christian every day, remember? And why isn't it working? Because in a real sense, we are trying to mold and shape the culture. But nowhere in God's word does it say go into the world and change the culture. The Bible says go into the world and preach the what? Preach the gospel and to make disciples. You see that God would change hearts and minds through his word, through his gospel. He would change people from the inside out. That will change their worldview. That will change the culture. You see, we're losing this quote-unquote culture war because in a real sense, we're fighting the symptoms and not the source. So what is the solution? The solution is that we need to stand on God's word. Restore God's word as a foundation for our thinking, taking every thought captive, making obedient to Christ. And as we stand on God's word, it's then we can defend our faith and boldly proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. You see, the answer is the gospel. It always has been and it always will be. But that gospel, the authority of that gospel begins over in Genesis 1.1. Either all of God's word is true or none of it is true. We can't treat God's word like a buffet. And for so many people in our day and age, here's the thing. They don't believe the gospel. Why? They don't believe the book from which the gospel comes. They think this book's been disproved with evolution, eight men, Big Bang, millions of years, modern-day archaeology. This book cannot be trusted. Why trust it about salvation? So we stand on God's word to answer those sort of questions, defend the faith in order to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes hearts and lives. I like to put it like this. We use these answers to get to the answer, Jesus Christ. We give answers to get to the answer, Jesus Christ, recognizing that we do need to give answers, but also at the same time, if we're talking to an unbeliever and we could convince an unbeliever that, you know, evolution is silly, there's roughly around 6,000 years old, Noah's flood laid down most of the rock layers and fossils we observe today, the features of the rock layers confirm that, and we convince them of all that, but we never shared the gospel. Where are they still headed? Hell. And so we share these answers in order to get to the answer, Jesus Christ. And the gospel is what will change people, and that will change the culture. 
And guys, that's why we are so passionate about this sort of stuff. That's really what this is all about. That's why we give these answers about dinosaurs and age of the earth so forth and so on, to defend the faith and proclaim the gospel. And that's why we're so passionate about getting resources into your hands because honestly, here's the thing. Somebody like me comes and we talk about why it's important. Then we give answers to, you know, what about evolution and dinosaurs and age of the earth and so forth. We give these answers and we're working hard and we're talking way too fast. All right? <laughs> Amen. All right. But here's, according, here's the thing. According to research... How much of this do you think you'll remember percentage-wise in just three days? 10% is like the best. Have you ever done this? You ever been like, you go to church on Sunday or maybe Saturday night, pastor knocks it out of the park, just preaches a phenomenal sermon. You think to yourself, man, Bob at work, he's got to hear this. And so you go to work that week, it turns about to Wednesday. You see Bob, you remember, I got to tell Bob this. You go to Bob, hey, Bob, let me tell you what pastor said this Sunday. Okay, tell me. He talked about Jesus <laughs> and the Bible. You ever been there before? Like you, you swore when you heard it, you would never forget, but give it a few days and it is gone. So we can get the answers into your hands with the resources so you can remember and share those with your family and friends and defend the faith and proclaim the gospel. A few things we highly recommend if you don't have them, the book, The Lie. It's kind of this talk in book form. It's why all of this is so important. Also, I mentioned the book, Already Gone. This deals with in more detail why two-thirds of kids who grew up in the church are walking away and what we can do to stop that mass exodus. And if you don't like to read, that's, we understand we got you covered. We got DVDs galore. This one in particular takes those two books, puts them in a DVD form, the Genesis of the Gospel. That's my DVD on this issue, talking about the same stuff. You want to hear it again and share this message with others. The actual answers themselves, I really believe if I was not working with answers in Genesis, I'd still say the same thing. Every home needs a copy of these in their home. Each book answers around 25 to 35 different questions. Each chapter is a different question. So you can read them out of order. Great reference tool. It's got carbon-14 dating. What about the dinosaurs? What about the dinosaurs evolve into birds? What about the age of the earth and the rock layers and distant starlight and all the other questions like that? So many of them all in those books. Over 120 answered questions in those books. We got those for teens and kids as well, but at their levels, really check those out. Parents, I'd encourage you, if you got young kids, these things are phenomenal. If, as you read the answers with your kids, you'll learn as you go. It's just really, really well done. Other books like Innis for Noah, for really the pre-K, kindergarten age group. It's a rhyme book, good for homeschooling curriculum. Presents Noah's Ark as a real boat, no bathtub, arcs, praise the Lord. I encourage you to check that out. And we got DVDs galore. That's really good for the teens and the ADD adults on so many different subjects, all right? Whether it's the genetics of Adam and Eve, what about the eight men, what about the age of the earth, all those different issues. They're all on DVDs back there. You can check that out. Ask me for help if you need, trying to help figure out what's out. And I would highly recommend this book, Quick Answers to Tough Questions. Why? Well, because as Pastor said, it's my book. I gotta highly recommend my book, right? Uh, but I'm really excited about this book. It just came out pretty much hot off the press. We just wrote it. And um, the publishers did a phenomenal job. A lot of really good pictures, not too kiddified, good, real pictures, really well done, very active as you read through, not overwhelming. But we made these answers really short 500 words or less per answer. And the reason is pretty simple. I'm sure you guys can attest to this. We are all busy. Amen? We're just busy. Parents are busy. Grandparents are busy. Kids are busy. It's hard to sit down and read a really thick book to get those answers. So I want to give you a tool, a very practical tool, where you can get a nice, quick answer to that hard question to give you a nice biblical perspective on that issue. And then, of course, you can dive deeper later on if you like. This is a great 
practical tool, very helpful. 33 questions answered in this book. First, few, uh, first section is why it's important. Then we get to the answers going through kind of like the seven C's. Then how we use those to share the gospel. Great, powerful tool. So thankful for what God's doing that already. I hope it's helpful to you guys. Check that out. Also, this book. This one's not my book, but this one's literally so hot off the press, it may burn you a little bit. It just came out a couple weeks ago. And this is such a needed tool for so many Christians. I'm really excited about this book. Uh, when I taught in public school, I taught Bible history. I taught through the Bible chronologically. All right. And if you've never studied the Bible chronologically, it's amazing when you do so. When you put the people and the events in their proper orders, the Bible, all of it starts to make sense. And you see how the entire Bible is actually all about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Old Testament points to Christ. New Testament is about Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. And it all starts to make sense when you go through it chronologically. In this book, he goes through the Bible chronologically. He does apologetics. And he's written it in a really easy-to-read format. It's 52 reads, 10 minutes each. It takes you through the entire Bible. Really good Bible study, really good family devotional. Great, great tool. I encourage you to check that out. Really, really good book. And we got a special going on here at the conference called the You Choose Special. Special, And basically, any combination of books or DVDs for those prices. And if you get up to one to uh, 30 for $1.99, that's around $6.50 per item, which in many cases is close to our cost. And we do that on purpose so you can get equipped and share those resources with those around you to defend the faith, proclaim the gospel. Then we've got our magazine. Comes out now six times a year. Uh, so well done. About 80-some pages long. Just with current issues, biblical authority issues. Really well done. One of the top-selling Christian magazines in the world. There's a kids section inside of it. Kids love it. Scientifically proven by my son reading at 15 months. <laughs> because he's advanced. Uh, he wasn't reading. He's looking at pictures like me, but that's okay. There's a kids section in there. You get the idea. And a cool little thing. For each year, subscribe to the magazine here at the conference. Up to three, you get a free DVD for each year. So if you subscribe for three years, you get three DVDs, which normally would be 35 bucks. So a three-year subscription is $69. You get three DVDs. That's like getting the whole thing for 34 bucks. the three-year subscription. Really, really good deal. I encourage you to check that out. And then use our website as a resource. Tons, thousands, literally, of free articles on the website. Hundreds of free videos on the website. Also, if you want to dive really deep, we have Answers Research Journal, free peer-reviewed journals by PhD scientists in their fields on their subjects. You can check those out. And feel free to follow me on Facebook or Twitter to engage me there, ask me questions about this, anything you want to talk about if you miss me here. I'd love to talk with you there, serve you any way I can. And then as Pastor mentioned tomorrow night, if you can come back, I really encourage you to do so. Two really good talks, very timely. The first one knows Ark and Flood, washing away millions of years, how rock lakes and fossils scream a global flood and really confirm God's word and reject evolutionary thinking in long ages. And then this last one, 730, one blood, one race, one gospel for all. We can all agree that is really really timely. And I'll leave you with a, a nugget before I tell one last story. You realize that the answer to racism, it's not political. Although I'm not saying we should be involved in politics, but it's not political. The answer to racism is the gospel. And we'll, we'll kind of flesh that out more tomorrow night as we get into that issue. So I'll leave you with one last story. Kind of keep the main thing the main thing. And then if you've got any questions later, I'd love to chat with you guys. But a story about a captain who was on his ship at night and as he looked onto the distance, he saw a ship. He saw a light, actually. He just saw a bright light, and he assumed it was another ship. So he told his crewmen, hey, radio that ship and tell them to deviate 10 degrees to the north to avoid collision. So the guy did. Moments later, back comes the response. Negative. You must deviate 10 degrees to the south. Well, of course, the captain, he didn't like that very much. He says, give me that mic. He said, this is Captain Nelson. You will change your course 10 degrees to the north. 
moments later. Back comes the response. Uh, sorry, sir, this is Private Martin, but you must change your course 10 degrees to the south. Now, of course, the captain, he was just livid. He says, son, you will change your course. This is a naval destroyer. Back came the response, sir, this is a lighthouse. You do not ask the light built on the rock to change for you. You change for it. Amen? And we do not ask God to change his word for any man. We stand on his word. It then will be the light he has called us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a chance to gather together under the banner of Christ to celebrate you, to glorify you, to lift up your name, to lift up the truth of your word, to praise you for how awesome you are in so many ways and how wonderful it is to see that your word is indeed true about all things. We know that, but it's so great to see it being fleshed out. I pray that during this time that, Lord, you would speak to hearts and minds, that you would challenge believers to stand on your word, challenge unbelievers to submit to the one truth, that you are God and God alone, and you have revealed yourself through the word, the Bible. And there is one way to be saved. You tell us, Lord Jesus, that you're the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I pray that truth will resonate in our hearts and our minds. I pray that we as Christians will recognize the very true fact that if we're Christian, we're missionary. We have all been called, commanded rather, by you to go into the world. And as we go into the world to preach the gospel, to defend the faith, to share the good news, that we be a light as you work through us to draw people to yourself for your glory. God, we love you, we praise you. May we serve you with all our hearts and our minds and our soul and our strength to glorify you and to celebrate with you for eternity what you are doing in this world for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.